And we are in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of healing, uh, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This morning we're going to look again at the life of Christ. And my prayers going through the Gospels that we see him magnified and and as he's magnified, as he's lifted up, that, uh, that people will be drawn to him. Your hearts will be drawn to him. Here this morning, we begin to see right into the heart of Christ. Um, it's an amazing passage. I said to my Sunday school class this morning that I think that the, the kind of situation here in Jesus' day that we find in this context now, that he's going, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and interacting with the people, um, I'm not sure that Jesus doesn't find a situation much, much similar to what I think the church world is, finds itself in today. Now, I, I see some very hopeful signs that, that the church world is starting to see some things anew and afresh. Um, it's interesting, through history, at times the church has waned and then God and his faithfulness has has stirred things within the church. An example of that would be the time of the Reformation. Just times when the, the, the church seemed to wander a bit, seemed to lose its bearings. Really, in essence, what the church lost was the gospel. And, and God is faithful to not let that witness die, but he brings the church back. And I think that's a bit of what, where we find the church today, uh, that the church world in general lost the gospel. Now they wouldn't they wouldn't not use the term gospel. They wouldn't not talk about people coming to Christ, some of those terminology. But what they lost, I think, was a theological understanding of the gospel, exactly what the gospel is. And and therefore everything became gospel and so nothing became gospel. And the gospel gets lost. But I see incredible signs of hope that the gospel is being rediscovered today in this age. There there are large movements of people who are coming back to a gospel-centric motif. And the interesting thing and the the really encouraging thing about that is that the age group of that is the 20 and 30-something age group is starting to rediscover the gospel and all that it is and all that it means and theologically getting their their bearings again about what Christ has done and what he accomplished. Now, I think Jesus in his day came into somewhat the same situation. There, there was just kind of a, a bunch of religious leaders teaching things, but the people were confused. I see the same thing in our day, lots of confusion. But that confusion is beginning to lift a bit for some. And so that's the context in which Jesus now, it says in this passage, he's teaching and he's going from village to village and synagogue to synagogue. And as he goes, his heart is broken. He has a heart of compassion. Uh, 
I, I can relate a bit to that in, as a pastor in the church world. My, my heart aches at times for, for the gospel to get rediscovered among us. And exactly what that gospel is, we, we say often here that the gospel is for believers. Um, I, I think we need to rediscover that. The gospel is for believers. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 as we begin. I want to make a point here, and we'll come back to this toward the end of, of what I share. But in Romans chapter 1, look what it says about the gospel. Down in verse 16. Here Paul is writing, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then in verse 17 it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Here he talks about the gospel being the power of God. And the power in the gospel is that there is a righteousness being revealed. What the church world is coming back to is beginning to see what that righteousness is. And beginning to understand that it is a righteousness that stands outside of us. The righteousness it talks about here being revealed is the righteousness that God accomplishes that Christ accomplishes when he when he lived perfectly and he died he accomplished and and was allowed a righteousness that he then can in fact give back to the church give back to the his people who he is saving um, it's important for us to see that 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 what Christ did is accomplish a righteousness that we couldn't accomplish. Christ was the second Adam. First Adam failed. The second Adam, Christ, succeeded. He fulfilled all righteousness. So therefore, He has a righteousness that for all who look to Him, He can give them. That's why we use the term an alien righteousness. It's not a righteousness that resides in us. It's a righteousness outside of us that Christ will give us and give all that look to Him. So that people can know their sins are covered. Remember as we began, blessed are the people who know their sins are covered. What are they covered with? They're covered with the righteousness of Christ. If you will, the robes of Christ's righteousness are placed over us. So our sin is covered. God the Father sees the righteousness of Christ. That is the gospel. And that is what was in danger of being lost again, I think. And God is bringing His church back to see it. It is, it is an alien righteousness. It is a finished work accomplished outside of us by another, by Christ. And I hope that's where you reside this morning. I hope that's where you rest this morning in your life. But let's look at Jesus' day. Look at the day He was in and look at the confusion that was there because in that I think we see the heart of God for preserving a witness, for preserving a church that sees the righteousness that I talked about here. The scripture says that that Jesus had compassion. He saw the crowds and his heart went out for them. He ached literally in his abdomen 
Really, the connotation of that compassion, the word that's used there is he felt it in, in his innards. He felt it in the depths of his being, in his gut, if you will. There was an ache there, a literal physical ache as he had compassion on the people. He had an empathy for their confusion. He saw the people and they were confused. And last week, if you remember in my message, I said that that there were the Pharisees who asked the questions with an edge. But last week, the people came, the disciples of John the Baptist came, and they had questions as well, questions that I think Jesus welcomed, because there wasn't an edge. There was just, there was just a confusion. They were confused. Why, why do we fast and your disciples don't fast? There was no edge there, but genuinely a desire to know. And so again this morning, I say to you, I think, I think we see here that Jesus always has a heart of compassion for those who ask honest questions. Questions that don't have a clenched fist behind them, that don't have an edge behind them, that don't have an agenda. There are people who ask questions today of Scripture, but the reason they ask those questions is because they want to confirm their wrong answers. Many people ask questions today because they want to somehow debunk Scripture. They want to somehow cause in their minds to see Scripture for what it isn't, the truth of God. They want to un- undo it. So if they can undo the Scripture, then they can live the lifestyles that they want to live without guilt, they think. And so they attempt to ask questions, but those questions always have a hidden agenda. But God always, I think, is, is open to honest questions with, without an agenda. And here I think Jesus felt compassion. He felt compassion for these people. And his admonition here is that they are like sheep without a shepherd. I think the thing that must have, must have ached in his soul more than anything else, is that the people who should have been helping them were not. The religious leaders of the day were just putting heavier burdens on the people. They were just laying more load and heavier load and weighing the people down more. And Jesus had a compassion for that. He had a compassion for them to, to, to see that that was wrong, that that was not Not what God intended. He knew the heart of the Father from the very beginning. The heart of the Father to rescue a people. And in the Old Testament, we begin to get pictures of that rescue to come. And all was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and His coming. But He knew that that all of the religious leaders were, were just confusing the people. They were just confused. They were laying heavier burdens on them. They weren't helping the people. And Jesus, I think, agonized about that. He agonized to see the ones who were to help were making it harder. There's probably nothing in my heart that weighs on it more than, than that fear. As I would be in a position now of a religious leader, that what I do would in any way cloud the gospel, that it would somehow hide it from you, the sheep. 
I pray that God would never let that happen, that the, the ministry of this church would, would do nothing that would somehow hinder people from seeing the true picture of who God is in Christ. That is what is so important for us to do and to make sure that nothing that we do in any area of our ministry clouds that or hides that or causes it to be harder for people to see it. Um, There's plenty of things in the world that can cloud it and hide it. Plenty of preconceived ideas people have about God and bring into the picture about God that can hide it. We don't need to contribute to that. We need to be so careful that we don't in any way, any way, cloud the message of Christ. But that's what was happening with the religious leaders. They were, they were not helping. And so Jesus sees these sheep out there without a shepherd. And if you have sheep without a shepherd, eventually they will run out of pasture and they will starve. Or they will get lost and they'll get caught in the thickets and they'll die. And that's exactly what was happening. That was exactly what was happening in Jesus' day. And so he went around throughout the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and helping to try to help the people see. That's the context we're in. A people who were not seeing to see. Now, it's important for us, I think, to see how Jesus saw them. Look, look at this passage here. It says, He was proclaiming the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. They were harassed and helpless. One of the things that, that Jesus saw is the bondage, I think, that sin had upon the people. They were caught in sin. They were harassed. They were helpless because of that sin. And so he, he agonized that, that they, needed to, they needed to be set free from that. They needed to be helped through that and to see that. Um, one of the things that happens for us, I think, when we, when we deal with people, we need to have Jesus' eyes, that people are harassed and helpless, even if they don't look like it on the surface. One of the fundamental things that Jesus knew about people was how sin how sin distorted everything in their lives. Sometimes we, we forget that, I think, as people. You and I forget that. But one of the things we fundamentally need to, to hold on to and, and have built into our understanding of, of people when we deal with them is that at the heart of it, their problem is a sin problem. I mean, Jesus came and he healed diseases and he helped people physically. But he knew fundamentally there was more of a problem than that. Their ultimate problem was their sin. Their sin was the thing that needed to be cared for. Their sin was the thing that was, was uh, causing them to be helpless and causing them to be harassed. How do we remind ourselves? How do we make sure that we don't forget that? as we work with people. How do we deal with people like Jesus did? I think one is we need to know scripturally. Scripturally, we need to be convinced that the ultimate problem is sin. The ultimate thing that we started with this morning, the most important thing that I said this morning, people must know is that their sin is not going to be held against them. There's no more important thing in all of life 
that we can help people with. Nothing more important than that. And yet sometimes we, we forget that. We don't, we don't stay there. The other way, I think, for us to keep reminded of that in our lives is our own experience. One of the things that will help you as you deal with people is to continue to look at your own heart. Continue to look into your own heart and realize the deceitfulness of your own heart. This morning in my Sunday school class, for those that were there, the speaker talked about his biggest problem being his own selfishness. Even as Christians, our biggest problem, our biggest problem is our own bent towards sinning, our own bent to want our own way, our own bent of selfishness. And if we keep that before us, if we keep that in our own lives, we, we will be less likely to forget it when we deal with others. That, that my biggest problem is myself. And the biggest problem of anybody I deal with is them, is them. Now that may not always visibly manifest itself, but at the heart, at the heart of their hearts, when they're all by themselves, that is the issue that everybody deals with. Their sin problem. And, and then to see them as, as sheep without a shepherd. That they need to know the truth. They need to know the truth of their sin. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good to help people by somehow minimizing their sin. Jesus knew that. It didn't do any good to minimize their sin. That was the heart of the issue. The most important, the most loving thing we can do as we deal with people, as Jesus dealt with people, was to go to the heart of the issue. To help people to come to recognize their sin and to recognize the remedy of their sin, which is Christ. If we go on here, it's interesting how Jesus addresses that. Look at, look at what he says when he looked to his disciples. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There's a shift that happens here in the text. From this point on now, Jesus begins to hand off ministry. He begins to hand off working with people. Up until this point, he had held it to himself. Up until this point, they had just watched him for the most part. Now Jesus begins to hand off the ministry. And look what he says. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus looked out. He saw the opportunities. He saw the hearts that needed to see. And he was optimistic in that regard. The the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so his admonition is what? Pray. Pray that God would raise up Laborers. Pray that God would raise up laborers. Why, why does he say that? I think the reason is, is because God always precedes what he wants to do with prayer. The means by which God accomplishes his purposes is through prayer. And so he, he says, pray. I want to accomplish something. I want to have the harvest come in. And so pray that God would raise up laborers so that they can declare the message of Christ and the harvest can come in. The question I ask myself is, uh, do I always see the potential? Do we always see the potential? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. 
Do we see it in our lives? Do you see it in your life? How about the, the neighbor? How about the co-worker? How about the friend? How about the barber? Or the hairdresser? Think back in your own life. Think back in a situation just in recent weeks where you came into contact with somebody maybe for the first time or, or maybe reacquainted yourself with someone. What, what thoughts go through your mind at the top of that engagement? Do things like spiritual condition come into that? Do, does compassion rise up in your soul wondering? Wondering if they see the magnificence of Christ? Wondering if they glory in the gospel of Christ? Does that come to your mind? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Do we see it as plentiful? Do we see the opportunities around us? Are they at the forefront of, of relationships that we build? I pray they are. But one of the things that I think hinders it, one of the things that hinders that being where we go sometimes is we just don't clearly see what Jesus saw. We, we, don't, we don't really have the compassion and see the the sin problem like he sees it. And the other thing we begin to be listening to is we start to think it's just too hard. It's just too hard. I mean, people come from all different denominational stripes, come from all different religious backgrounds. How do we sort all that out? How do we, how do we go to the heart of the matter? How do we work through all of that confusion? You, you ever thought that? I've thought that. I've, I've come into people's lives at times and, and think, ah, there's just no way. There's no way. They, I mean, they, they, they believe this way and there's just no way to sort that out. There's no way to get through to this. And, and that's a lie, really. We all come from de- different denominational stripes and religious stripes, but that's not the issue. That's not the issue. That's not Christianity. The heart of Christianity is where I began this morning. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone believes. Because in the gospel, there is what? A righteousness. Christianity, no matter what stripe you come out of, Christianity at its heart is about a righteousness. It's about a righteousness that that you and yourself don't possess. And there's only one place to get it. There's only one place it can be provided to you from. And that's Jesus Christ. You see, that's what the gospel is about. If, if you look at all the stripes, you'll get discouraged. Satan will use that to just cause you to have a passivity that will be, be really, really dangerous. But if you can sort through all of that, cut through all of that and and somehow be like Jesus where he he had compassion on them because in essence he just saw them as sheep without a shepherd he saw those people as people who were confused there were too many voices too many places they were hearing things and and the message was not clear and if we can keep the message clear we can Help people. And the clear message is that Jesus 
provides a righteousness that doesn't reside in us, but it's outside of us. That's what the gospel's about. And so the essence, when you look at a person and you think, well, yeah, the harvest is plentiful, and I don't know whether they're in or out, and, and it's not our job always to determine that. God knows the heart. But, but I think there are times when God wants us to move into people's lives and wants to help with the confusion, wants us to help them to sort it out, wants us to help to be, a, in one sense, a shepherd to sheep who don't have one. And the way we do that is by keeping it focused and, and realizing that the essence of Christianity The essence of what Jesus came to teach us and what the gospel teaches us is this. That at the heart of it, it's where we're resting for our righteousness. It's not very complicated, really. Satan would like to make it complicated. He'd like to just kind of get us going down rabbit trails. But the essence of it is Where does their trust rest? Is it in their own ability, their own righteousness, or maybe maybe their ability, as I said to you, to finish a work? Maybe they realize we need Christ, but somehow I have to finish it. Or is their rest in the finished work of Christ alone? As we sang this morning, their gaze has been caught on the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness that is outside of us. The righteousness that He performed for us. The righteousness that He declared was finished when He said it's finished on the cross. You see, that's the essence. And you don't maybe do that right away with somebody. You build relationships sometimes over years. Sometimes it's a few weeks. Sometimes months. Sometimes it is just in one encounter. God opens up the door for you to to get to the heart of a person and to find out where ultimately their confidence rests. Because if it's anywhere other than the righteousness of Christ, it's not Christianity. Christianity is about a righteousness that Christ has provided. And you see, that's what Jesus was saying. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What sense are they few? They're few in the sense that those who are gospel-centric in that way. I think God is beginning to raise up laborers. He's beginning to raise up more people, more and more people who have that gospel-centric motif. They aren't going to go down rabbit trails, but they're going to stay centered in the gospel. And as they, as they work with people, as they befriend people, as they begin to help people, they're not going to get swayed from gospel-centricness. They're going to keep the gospel at the center. And they know that the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is that another will provide a righteousness for all who will look to him. And that's the heart of knowing that your sin is covered. And knowing that your sin will not be held against you. Now you today can cannot be there and with all of your heart kind of try to convince yourself that my sin will not be held against you. But as hard as you try to do that, you have no place really solidly to rest. But the scriptures are full of places to rest. 
about the finished work of Christ, about resting in Christ. And I hope we as a people, I hope we as a people will pray that God will raise up laborers for the harvest who see things gospel-centrically, who see them the way Jesus saw them, who have a compassion, who look out and see a bunch of sheep who are shepherdless, and they need somebody to speak truth into their lives. They need somebody to come to them and go to the heart of their problem, which is their sin. The heart of our problem is our sin. If we minimize our sin, we don't get it dealt with. We must acknowledge it. We must go to the heart of it. I don't want to know that 75% of my sin is taken care of. I want to know that all of it is cared for. I can't rest if there's any vulnerability in my life. And you can't rest. And the only place there's no vulnerability is in the righteousness of Christ. So I pray this morning that God will help us to pray. And one of the things that begins to show you that God wants to move is when people start praying. When people start raising up to pray, it means God wants to do a work. And I see that happening. I see that happening globally today. God is causing the church to pray. He's causing people to come back to gospel centricness. And I think there's a wonderful thing that is stirring in our midst. And one of the greatest things that can happen for you, one of the things that causes your faith to come alive is you begin to start to see somebody who comes in as a part of that harvest. When you start to see a life that begins to see the glory of Christ, begins to really see that they need to put their gaze on the finished work of Christ and you start to see their life come alive, there is nothing more exciting than that. There's nothing that keeps the health of a church where it should be as more and more people begin to look there, begin to have their lives transformed there. And that's my prayer, that we would be a people who would pray for more of that and have the compassion of Christ to go to the heart of the issue, which is the gospel. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing together. Father, I pray this morning that, that you'll help us to rest in the gospel, that you'll help us to be people to really believe that the harvest is plentiful, that there are lots of people out there who, who need someone to come alongside of them, not, not condescendingly, Lord, but come alongside them and help them to see the glory of Christ. Help them to see that they can know that their sin is covered and help them to know that there's only one safe place to rest. There's only one safe limb to step out on. And that's Christ. Oh, God, help us to stand nowhere else. And Lord, I pray that as we are raised up to pray, that you'll raise up a host of gospel-centric people to share that message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
Father, I pray that you will help us here where you've placed us as a body of believers to not create confusion, to not make it harder for people to see. But Lord, we would be a people who would see clearly enough ourselves that we could help others. Lord, it's it's what you give us. It's it's how you open our eyes. Lord, we pray. We just pray that a host, a host of people might be harvested in as we declare the gospel to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.